welcome everyone to another episode of slasher scotty i am your host scotty mccoy and boy do i have a surprise for all of you i have on zoom with me right now jim crut and he played the helicopter zombie in george romero's dawn of the dead hey jim how you doing today who me yeah, yeah you I, I guess i'm okay yeah <laughs> that's good i'm glad you're doing good it's finally i'm so glad i could finally meet you uh so excited to you know make this interview happen well thank you very much for having me scotty i'm, I'm looking forward to uh having a chat with you absolutely absolutely so i guess to get started let everyone know how'd you get your start into acting uh, you want to go back to elementary school when I was in like sure. fourth or fifth grade <laughs> and they did a play about Abraham Lincoln and I was the tallest kid in the class. <laughs> hey, and I could remember, or at least mostly remember the Gettysburg Address. So I got the role. Hey, it was a heck of an audition. Who's tall? Can you remember four score and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, from there I progressed to, uh, to high school and wrote a play in high school and then did the lead in the senior class play or junior class play. Um, so I was always interested in theater. I did some community theater in central Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And when I got to college in Pittsburgh, uh, that was at Point Park, uh, that's where I'd say things really unfolded or unfurled because at that point um, I ran into Tom Savini, uh, who was also a student there as in journalism. And a group of us, Tom and me and a few other folks, decided we also wanted to get involved in theater. Although the school had a theater program, we weren't in, enrolled in that track. So uh, we did, we did uh, some theater there. And um, after that, came back from the Army after a few years. And Tom came back after a couple years. And we connected in Pittsburgh. And he said, I've got this great role for you in this George Romero film that's coming up, the image of which is behind me here now. And uh, I had no idea what I was stepping into or onto, but uh, I had worked with Tom. I trusted Tom, and I thought of him as a pretty creative guy, very uh, passionate. And I thought it'd be fun to work with Tom. Nice. Nice. So did you have to audition at all, or that was just it was just knowing Tom? Tom said, nice. I've got this great role for you. Awesome. Awesome. So what was the makeup process like to be transformed into the helicopter zombie? Well, they tur turned me upside down and dipped me in chocolate. No, they <laughs> had to go over to Tom's workshop a couple weeks before the shoot. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with the material alginate, it's mm -hmm. like a kind of a rubbery, plasticky, flexible mm -hmm. material. And when it goes on, it's sort of slathered on. It picks up all the details in your face from which they can make either a, like a mask or, okay. in my case, a, a head bust. So in that point, um, Tom said, well, you're going to have to breathe through a straw while we put this mm -hmm. on you, on your face. And after several minutes of... <laughs> Then uh, Tom said, okay, well, I think that's firm enough now. Okay, oh, good. He said, well, now we put the plaster on top of that. <laughs> and then, of course, the plaster is poured on top of that, and all that has to harden. Um, because with the alginate, it picks up the detail, but it doesn't hold its shape. If you were to take it, lay it down on a table, it would just kind of mm -hmm. lay down. 
but um, so Tom called me a couple days later after that uh, experience and said, Jim, we've <laughs> got to do it again. The plaster cracked. Right. I jumped up and down. I was just so happy. Uh, no, I was not <laughs> jumping up and down for happy. But uh, anyway, it was an interesting experience, and I thought, well, at least I never have to do that again. Yeah, I heard a lot of uh, trauma stories from guests about the whole uh, breathing through a straw, claustrophobia thing. Uh, no, Ann Ryerson from Friday Part 6 was one of them that told me that she absolutely hated it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say, hey, do you want to get into makeup? No. 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 no thank you. No, thank you. I, I think I'm busy that day. <laughs> uh, I'm not a real big fan of makeup, but on the other hand, I have to say, back when uh, we were in college, for example, you had to use the uh, available materials. We did this play called, by uh, Eugenie Inesco called Rhinoceros, and in the mm -hmm. course of that, there's this little cafe town setting, and the people start gradually turning into rhinoceroses, mm -hmm. if that's the proper plural of rhinoceros, right. and to do that, step off the stage off stage and tom would be there with spirit gum you know <laughs> attaching these larger ears mm -hmm. and then we'd go back on and then then you know a few minutes later go back out and the ears would need to be keep to grow continue to grow mm -hmm. so that meant that got ripped off and then new stuff got attached uh by the end of the show i was pretty raw <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not fun anymore. This hurts. So anyway, that was a number of years ago. And in the meantime, of course, Tom not only worked with the materials available, he developed a lot of his own types of materials for weight, for makeup mm -hmm. and, and, and effects work. And I think in the course of experimentation and actual implementation of what he was doing in the shoots, he uh, he came to know and use and appreciate a wide variety of materials mm. that might not have been considered before, but mm -hmm. also I think he was instrumental in, in crafting things that were easier on actor skin mm -hmm. that could dry more quickly. Uh, so you don't have, have to have somebody in the chair forever and ever and ever. Because mm -hmm. obviously if the cameras are rolling and you're sitting in the chair waiting for something to dry, it's like the dollars are ticking along and no no director no producer wants that they uh mm -hmm. things continue to move yeah so anyway that was uh dawn of the dead it's probably 20 years later then i did audition for another film and the guatemalan handshake and that was being filmed in the in the harrisburg pennsylvania area nice and i was i, I think i left from work and i thought i'm just going to give this a shot I went over to where the auditions were. It was toward the end of the process. I was mm -hmm. the last one getting in, and I was just filling out my paperwork. And they said, well, come on in. You know, we're going to be wrapping up. And I went in, and I, we just started talking. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, you know, oh, we've got this great role for you as, uh, as Kenneth, the technician, you know, the power plant mm -hmm. operator. And I said, nice. hey, I was working with an electric cooperative, so I figured, hey, it, Power, pan, power plant operator might be like a promotion. Nice. And that night I got a call from the director and he said, why didn't you tell me you were the helicopter zombie from Dawn of the Dead? Said, <laughs> didn't think it was relevant and it was on the paper. Well, we didn't read the paper. You know, we just talked. <laughs> so anyway, that's when I first got into the, the next film after Dawn of the Dead. 
Nice, nice. And about maybe 25 or so films since then. Nice. So how long were you in uh, makeup for the uh, for Helicopter Zombie? Well, once we got through the process of Tom's, he was able to cast a bust of my mm-hmm. head. And from that, he could take whatever time he needed for materials, the prosthetics and so forth to be applied, to experiment mm-hmm. with, to dry, and finally get the final pieces together. So when we got to the airport, uh, we had to do the the beard, mustache, mm-hmm. uh, the the hair parts, and the the tubes and such leading into mm-hmm. the I was gonna say the brain pan, but I don't know if zombies really have brains. That's why they want them all the time. Who knows? It's uh, I'd say maybe you know getting into it might have been an hour or less at that point. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do any shooting on, uh, with me on the first day. The second day is when the helicopter came in and we uh, we did the shoot. And nice. bam, everything was done in one take. And nice. George seemed to be very happy with the result. So he's oh, that's mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful. Next, you know, <laughs> you've got to keep <laughs> moving on when you're in film, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So what was like the helicopter? I guess that wasn't really you that did the special effects with the helicopter, like, you know, killing you, right? Yes. uh, Yeah, I think the the engine on the helicopter might have been running. Mm -hmm. That's in my mind as a memory. But uh, the blades, I knew that they could be canted, you know, like done at something of an angle. But you have to trust the people you're working with. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yes, so a lot of trust, but you gotta. Yeah, sure. Last, last famous words. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I believe those uh, blades were animated in afterward, according to okay. Tom, because uh, he would have been involved with the, you know, the post-production parts of it. Right. But it looked looked pretty doggone good. It did. It really did. So, what was it like working with George Romero? My experience working with George was less than it was working with Tom. Mm-hmm. simply because George George brought in good people who knew what they were doing and Tom was doing the makeup and effects and knew how mm-hmm. things were supposed to go the timing uh, you know the angles what was going to look good and so forth so for this scene Tom did most of the direction the first part of it the earlier part of it as Tom was getting things set up mm-hmm. uh, George directed like from across the field there was an airplane he said let's have you you know come out from under that Okay, and uh, so he, you know, did those parts and you know, up to the point where we got onto the boxes, and then George was behind the camera, and Tom was kind of calling out directions. I know when I, Tom and I had talked about the makeup, but we hadn't really talked about the, the character, you know, mm-hmm. what's my motivation and so forth. And so I said, Tom, what do these do these zombies talk or anything? Because I hadn't seen any of the other scenes that mm-hmm. had been shot at the at the mall or any of the other locations, mm-hmm. I had no idea. He said, "Not not really, but you know, you just uh, do what you want to do." And uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, can I, uh, you know, yell or moan or anything like that?" He said, well, "Yeah, you can do whatever you want to do." Okay. Okay, that's good. So I don't think they necessarily used anything like that, but 
if they did, uh, then I didn't get credit for it. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever been asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So if you could give your character, the helicopter zombie, a backstory before he became a zombie, what would you choose his backstory to be? That's a very difficult question, Scotty, and I'll tell you why. All right. Um, several years ago, I was approached by someone who said, I've got this film idea. We've got most of the script together. Mm-hmm. And it is has to do with your character as the helicopter zombie and that he didn't really die. Oh. And so it gets into more of that detail and, and so-and-so what has happened uh, in those ensuing days and months. But it hasn't really happened. Mm. So I don't know whether I'm at liberty to even discuss that. Oh. A lot of people have proposed things. Well, you know, he was a, a, an airport mechanic. He was somebody... Mm-hmm getting onto a plane he was waiting for a flight mm-hmm. uh, i've heard a number of things proposed i guess if i had to choose one i wouldn't okay because i like the idea that the character is neutral enough yeah it could be just about anybody yeah uh, a lot of the characters were very specific you know somebody's wearing a baseball shirt or a gas station mm-hmm. shirt or dressed as a nurse and you can say um oh, uh, that's who that is and that and to me and then there's this mix of other people, and you think, oh, they look, they look kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. I know George Romero was asked at an interview, well, what makes the zombies so scary? And he said, because they're your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, all of those characters, mm-hmm. all of those neutral characters and all those mm-hmm. very kinds of specific characters are identifiable. They could be your neighbors, yeah. certainly. Yeah. And I think that, in a sense, is the terror of it yeah and if you had a problem you might say well i'm going to go get my neighbors to help me well <laughs> maybe those neighbors are the problem in this yeah situation. so yeah i mean look at the walking dead like you know the very i think it was like the first episode you know when you first meet you know lenny i think his name was you know the actor's name is lenny um he is kid what you know his wife i mean was the zombie and it's just, that's what makes it scary because now you know your wife is this monster yes so that that does make it scary because it's like okay do i let them live and roam around mindless or do i put put an official end to them <laughs> it's a and terrifying situation it's that, it's that um, kind of contradiction or complexity of thought that keeps mm-hmm. people from actually doing anything yeah yeah they're they're sort of like frozen do i do this or do i do that right and it's not like if you think about going to see a movie you don't know what to expect mm-hmm. unless you're you know really gotten all the spoilers and read reviews and all that stuff. right you go and you want to see it unfold before you yeah and life is like that that it unfolds before you you're never quite sure what to expect yeah you, you know you walk into a mall you walk into a gas station you walk into someplace else yeah you don't know what's going to happen yeah but um not only that you don't quite know how you're going to react to whatever is happening right you know, flight or fight, those are usually the yeah. basic human emotions. Mm-hmm. And so does he go after his wife and try to eliminate her as a problem? Or does he just run away? Because right. he still has all of these uh, emotional ties and, and love still is there. Yeah. Uh, at that point, it might be a little misplaced, but because the situation has changed so drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you mentioned about even spoilers, seeing all the spoilers, like the Halloween ends uh, trailer hits tomorrow and all the leaks are coming out now. But with uh, Dawn of the Dead, um, there was no things that really as the spoilers because there wasn't, you know, social media. There wasn't Internet like that back then. That's true. That's you true. didn't have all that stuff. So you can go to a movie theater and enjoy going in fresh and not and you can go not opening night and not be afraid of getting all the details of what happened. Well, that and it was released unrated. Yeah. So you didn't even have a guideline. Well, should I bring my kids to this? Right. Mm, yeah. Maybe not right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> Check it out. Preview. I didn't let my daughter watch it till she was 16. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of a fun experience, too. Nice. Yeah. I said, well, what do we want to do with your 16th birthday? She said, Dad, can we watch your film? And I said, <laughs> okay. So we, we put it on the machine and uh, got a big pizza and we sat down and nice pizza. And at the beginning of Dawn of the Dead, there's a lot of gunfire. A lot of people are getting yeah. shot and blown up. Yeah. And each one, you know, she's she's a little sensitive, so she's wincing. And <laughs> after a few minutes, she turns to me and she says, well, Dad, you, you, you don't get shot in this, do you? And I said, no, honey, I, I don't get shot. It's okay. <laughs> well, you didn't lie. Lie. <laughs> spoilers. That's hilarious. So, what was the best part about filming *Dawn of the Dead*, and what was the worst? The best part was, of course. Well, I've done a lot of theater. I, in, mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh, I worked in theater for about seven years. Mm -hmm. um, I did, a, I did, we started a, a theater company in Gettysburg. We had one in, in Huntington, Pennsylvania. And so I'm used to, you know, bringing whatever you have every moment that you're on stage. You know, mm -hmm. you, you put your ultimate into the, into the character. Sometimes that ultimate doesn't mean just going over the top, it means being very subtle. Right. Whatever it is you do. And the other thing about working in, on stage is that you know the script from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. uh, you know who the characters are, and you probably know their lines as well as you know your own. Mm -hmm. In film, you might say, okay, this is your segment. You may not know what the rest of the movie is about. You just have to trust that. You know there's a lot of element of trust in all this. Yeah. You, you have to trust that uh, it's it's going to be you know in keeping with who you are as a person, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I mean, to make a movie, there's a lot of elements. There's a lot of people. There's the special effects, the hair and makeup, the gaffer, lighting techs, you know, camera operators, boom mic operators, of course, director, producers of all levels, and each one of them have their own talents, their own skill sets, and they end up you know, having to do what they do best. And, you know, the director might want to make sure everything goes right, but you kind of got to trust that the producer knows what they're doing or the gaffer knows what they're doing or the camera people know what they're doing. You know, the actors know what they're doing. You know, you got to yeah. trust all that. Like you can, you can supervise, but they, you have to let them do the skills that they're good at doing. You're exactly, you're exactly right, Scotty. There's no yeah. question about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, walking onto the set, I was a stranger. The only person I knew mm -hmm. was Tom, who was going mm -hmm. to be there. I mean, I'd worked in theater in Pittsburgh, and there were a number of people that I'd worked with who were mm -hmm. also in Dawn of the Dead, but they were not necessarily at the airport. 
-hmm. most of them were at the mall or you know at the TV studio beforehand mm -hmm. like David Early and David Crawford and Nick Tallow and, uh, so I I didn't know quite what to expect I was I was like mm -hmm. a visitor you know mm -hmm. you know you go to Hollywood and you say you're gonna go to see this sound studio but don't talk and don't don't make any noise and all this okay you know what I'm supposed to do here <laughs> but uh, getting into it and when you're on camera you realize it all comes down to that you know mm -hmm. there's no more BS it's you it's you and that lens yep. and uh, you got to do what you're trained to do and what the, the director mm -hmm. uh, has expected of you and try to bring bring out your best yeah of course the individual thing with Dawn of the Dead is that there are a lot of characters mm -hmm. and there's there was no particular school as such in terms of you have to walk this way and move this way yeah okay everybody limp and bend your right arm there wasn't all that but they you know they wanted everybody to try to bring out their own kind of characters whoever mm -hmm. you are whatever your interpretation is and I think that kind of comes back to it that's your neighbor they're all moving a little differently mm -hmm. and it's more interesting that way too it's not like yeah like a lockstep lockstep army marching toward you or something. yeah like kind of like the, even going back to the walking dead it's not like you know they're all like a horde just doing the same exact things in a group like you know it, that just shows choreography like it's it is, makes it even more realistic that oh it's not a horde coming at you in one fell swoops in sync with the growling or moaning or whatever and the limping and all that like they're doing their own thing because that's what that person did maybe when they were alive and now they're the undead Mm -hmm. yeah well even, even though with the walking dead uh they do have a bit of a school mm -hmm. to teach the zombies in a sense what not to do yeah <laughs> don't everybody start limping with your left leg and you know right your right arm that don't everybody be doing that mm -hmm. you know do some natural sorts of things and then figure yeah. out in there too if you've got a character if they've got mm -hmm. a response in, in, in a lot of the walking dead of course there's a lot of uh heavier makeup than there mm -hmm. was in Dawn of the Dead, because in in a sense those zombies were more deteriorated in The Walking mm -hmm. Dead over time. You know, you're seeing mm -hmm. this deterioration going on, and so they're less recognizable as your neighbors, but just mm -hmm. as kind of dark darklings going through the woods yeah. and going after you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the last question I do got for you is all about you. Do you have anything else that you would like to promote projects, social media, websites, anything at all appearances? Well, I just finished a couple, a couple great appearances and um, we were just at Hershey, Pennsylvania this past weekend. We did okay. uh, uh, living dead weekend at, at the Monroeville mall where most of Dawn of the dead was filmed. Nice. In June. And there were like six stores full of, guests from night of the living dead dawn of the dead day of the dead nice. land of the dead so forth anybody who's interested in the romero film should should go to uh living dead weekend and that in a sense is part of the family uh, uh, i don't know how else to put it but it's like a family sensation of being around both your friends and people you've met through the various films mm -hmm. and they're they may be scary as heck on on screen mm -hmm. it could be some of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet yeah. you're just sitting down having a sandwich with them or something yeah <laughs> but as far as projects i've got a couple film projects coming up mm -hmm. some of them are smaller roles and uh and discussions about a couple other things yeah. uh, 
still looking at a couple more appearances this year. Normally, I, I just put those up on my website, which is hellazombie, H-E-L-I-Z-O-M-B-I-E dot com. Uh, so hellazombie.com. And, you know, folks can find me on uh, Facebook under Jim Crutt, K-R-U-T. Okay. And normally, if there's something coming up, I'll put it on there. Nice. Uh, as far as some of the films, I can't do promotion on uh, until the, you know, they're released. Sometimes mm -hmm. they dribble out actors who are going to be in a particular film in advance to build up interest uh, and you know help secure funding and all of that. Mm -hmm. And some of the uh, conventions, oftentimes you can't really say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be in uh, you know San Francisco or Atlantic <laughs> City or something until the promoter or the organization releases that information. Mm -hmm because they have their own timetable for doing that. So there are yeah. some things in the works I really can't can't talk to you about at this no point. No problem. Yeah, well, is there anybody uh, that's watching this, go to the website, go to hell hellazombie.com and uh, check that out. And uh, anytime you have a, a, a film project or an, a convention appearance, anything at all, it'll be up there. And I'm sure it'll also be on your IMDb for any film projects as well. Yes, yes. Awesome. IMDb is kind of fun because... Uh, <clears throat> As you may know, there are some films that get started and don't don't quite get all the way made. Yeah. And uh, so I'm waiting on you know some that uh, need to be kind of wrapped up. Yeah. But there are others that uh, you know are waiting for particular release times. <laughs> so they may be you know in pre-production or or whatever. Mm -hmm. because they're waiting for a particular release time. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Scott, <laughs> let me ask you a question. How did, you, sure. how did you get involved in all of this stuff about movies and films and monsters? So I have a friend named Greg Gilbert. He's the host of Python's Paradise podcast. And uh, he interviewed me back when I wasn't really well known. I just wrote a, a book on Friday the 13th trivia in February of 2016. I got that published. And like months later, like that fall, he reached out to me to interview me. And I'm like, sure, why not? You know, free promotion, whatever. So I did it. And we started talking after the interview and we became friends and we're friends to this day, really good friends. And we talk almost daily. And he uh, but at the time, I'm like, who did you all interview? And he told me some of the names he interviewed. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I really like that. I think I would like to do something like that. And how do you get into that? He's like, um, just, you know, just get, um, you know, an audio like, you know, audio or whatever. And I used to do it over the phone and I would uh, hold the phone up to my really shitty microphone at the time. My my built-in computer microphone at the time and uh, sure, sure. yeah and uh, I don't even know if Zoom was around at the time and if it was it wasn't big I did them all over the phone maybe I did a few Skype ones here and there but Greg's like I'll get you started so he got me uh, the information for Victor Miller the screenwriter of the first Friday the Thirteenth and that was my first interview and it was over Skype and uh, I didn't record it I just you know um, you know uh, end up. Uh, recording on I use audacity for my uh to extract my audio from the video interviews and I used audacity got them on my I uh you know you know recorded it that way over Skype I don't even remember how I did it over Skype to be honest with you it's been a while and it was like one of my only Skype interview I've ever done 
<laughs> my first interview. But after that, I did a bunch of interviews. I had Adam Marcus on and uh, he was like my I think he was my third or fourth interview. And he was over the phone and I was on with him for like an hour and a half. And I uh, it was my hand was like so tired. I had a, a holding it up to the computer to get the audio. And eventually I'm like, you know, and then I, I, I just broke my you're my 301st interview I've ever done. And you think what well, you're thinking like, oh, it's a lot, but shouldn't it be more in 2016? Well, um, oh, what happened there? Give me one sec. I have 10 minutes left of the, of the meeting. I don't know why it's timing me because there's only two people in the room. But anyways, um, yeah, so uh, I had um, so, um, yeah, I was holding it up. My hands really tired and everything like that because of that length. And, uh, you know, I took a break between uh, then and uh, I think like after a couple of interviews, like between I think 2017, 2018, I took a break because my dad was battling brain cancer. So I was more focusing with him and he passed away last August. But when COVID started up, I started doing my interviews again, like 2019, 2020. Then I started doing my interviews again. I started doing them, you know, consistently every month. And now you're my 301st interview. Uh, I had my 300th interview yesterday and that's it, pretty decent. And I mean, I get, I mean, my YouTube is fairly new, but my, uh, my uh, audio, my uh, Spotify and Google podcasts and Apple podcasts, like my, on my audio viewership is roughly between like 15 to 25,000 a day, daily views. Like I get really decent, really decent audio views. Cause I, I mean, what do you do when you, when you're at work, you put in your earbuds and you listen to, you know, podcasts all day. So people listen to my interview. You should be doing at work. Huh? Is that what you should be doing at work? You should be working. <laughs> I know uh, I, I now I work from home, so I, I usually uh, it's, I have more freedom with, you know, with uh, what I can do now. But when I was at the office, like if I was looking for a podcast when I'm when, like when my when that episode is over and they catch me, it's like perception is the reality. So it's like, are you doing your job or are you on your phone? <laughs> Even though I'm looking for a podcast to watch mm-hmm. and I'm like, like, I'm just looking for a podcast. Like, OK, just make sure you don't uh, you don't you're not on your phone too much or, you know, we don't want to see you on your phone too much. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But now it's more leniency with uh, working from home all the time. Um, but I mean, I now I have seniority. I mean, I've only been there for three and a half years or so. But I mean, I, I've never had a, a late time with my job or anything like that. I've never had an assignment late due in or whatever. So uh, I mean, they're more lenient with me and with what I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, as they said, perception is reality. And, you know. Well, the workplace has changed considerably. Yeah. It did. Um, and the thing about filmmaking, too, as a, as a part of that, is that you still have to go with the seasons or, mm-hmm. or uh, daylight or, yep. you know, other people's schedules and all this other good <laughs> stuff. Yep. But, uh, you know, so anybody putting a film together, I, I, I tremendously admire that they've got yep. the initiative and the passion to do it and see it all yep. the way through. And uh, so, you know, try to support them. And a lot of people, yeah. as, as you would mention, how do you get involved with this stuff? Uh, you know, people say, I want to be a zombie in a movie. And I said, well, mm-hmm. okay, you know, you can be. Really, how? And I said, start somewhere. Don't just yeah. at home. Start. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, gee, there's a zombie movie playing right next door and they're casting. No, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. You're going to have to reach out a little bit. And it yeah. might not be necessarily the movie. Because normally they're going to say, well, what experience can you bring? Or yep. do you know how to talk? Can you do accents? Or can you mm-hmm. walk a particular way? Or are you, you know, an acrobat? Or can you do stunts? 
Do you know anything about lighting? Do you know anything about sound? Right. Um, do you know anything about feeding people? Because right. people have to eat on set. Yeah. You think, oh man, it's all about, you know, walking in front of a camera. No. Nope. Like for every person on camera, there's a lot of people behind the cameras. There is. There is. And if people want to get started, I mean, if you don't know where to start, Indiegogo is a good place to go um, for if to start building up your resume. If you wanted to purchase a pay for a role type of thing, like, I, I mean, I guess I, I wouldn't suggest that, obviously, for seasoned actors, because um, those those actors do it for a living. But, but for people that want to be in a movie and want to get their start and don't know where to start, then maybe you know, Indiegogo is a good place to start to build up a resume. Then you can gain the experience you need and then be able to start auditioning and get the, after you have the experience. And that's a, that's true. And also uh, there are other local things that you might be able to be yeah. involved in in your community. Yep. Local theater, community your, theater. Theater has so many things to offer. Yeah. Whether you're collecting tickets, you're, even if you're collecting tickets, mm -hmm. you're seeing what all the other people are doing. And maybe one of those roles becomes, hey, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of like that uh, audio guy. He's, mm -hmm. he's got some really cool toys. Yeah. And, or, gee, how's that camera work? How did they make that, you know, green screen effect? How did they, how yeah. did they do this chroma key thing so well? Yeah. So you, you go from there and then suddenly it's less of a jump, I would say. Mm -hmm. If you go to an audition and somebody says, well, what can you do? Well... I can um, I can jump rope. I'm a bricklayer. Um, I can cut wood with an axe. And you think, what's that got to do with anything? Well, the thing is, on a lot of productions, there are a lot of people in the background who are mm -hmm. doing things. If you're, let's say, cast as a police officer or security, something like that, do you know how to dress? How to carry a firearm? Do you know how to, let's say, talk the lingo if you need to? Uh, it may or may not be in the script as such, but rather than try to train people to do that, it's easier to bring people who have that experience. Yeah. You need a construction crew, find somebody who's in construction, or if you're yeah. in construction, say, well, you know, I can do construction, I can cut down trees. <laughs> we have a scene where we have to have this tree cut down, and then this other guy's building a wall. You never know. All right. So if you go and put yourself forward, list all of your skills. <clears throat> yeah. You may not think that they're a particular skill that's going to make you a good looking zombie going across the road or something, but yeah. it might get you a role. And all you have to do really is kind of get started and then stay persistent. Exactly. Exactly. Couldn't say it better to myself. And we have about three and a half minutes left. So I'm going to stop it there. I don't know why the 10 minute mark came on. There's only two people in the room. That kind of annoyed me. <laughs> I don't know why it did that. Uh, that's kind of weird. Our friend. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I thank you so much, Jim, for uh, joining me today. Well, it's been very enjoyable, Scotty. Thanks yep. very much for having me. And Absolutely. We'll have to do it again. Good luck with the rest of your uh, your interviews and the great thank folks you. you're uh, you know, helping to tell their story. Absolutely. I thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much. Right. Yep. Yeah, bye.